Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, How to Love God More. Today I want to share some thoughts with you, eventually coming to a point that occurred to me a couple of months ago that I have absolutely not been able to shake a point regarding our love of God and specifically how to grow in that love in a way that you and I may not have fully realized. This was actually the subject of my message last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, and because of the nature of the burden that I had to express it with them and the great feedback that I had from that message, I wanted to spend some time on the broadcast today communicating these same truths to our listening audience. As we begin, I want to emphasize what, at times, to some, contrary to their wishes, is a struggle in the emotional aspect of loving God the way that we want to. We love God, and that's something that we'll talk about today, the fact that as born-again people, a love of God is sparked within our soul. But as far as the emotional context of loving someone or something, I think we would all say with the hymn writers, plural of old, that I want to love him more. We have a couple of hymns in our hymnal here at Flint River that communicate that thought, I want to love him more, I do, he has done so much for me. God has so blessed us that we definitely want to love him more, we feel drawn to him, we believe in him, we trust in him, and all of this is a result of the new birth coming into a vital, intimate heart knowledge with him. And it leaves us wanting a closer relationship with Him, but sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes you might feel guilty. Sometimes you may yearn to love Him more. Sometimes if someone around you is absolutely loving God and expressing their love of Him, you might think, man, I wish, I wish I felt like they feel in this moment of my personal life. Now, when I say I want to emphasize the emotional aspect of loving God, sometimes love in the Bible, many times in fact, has reference to an action. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and all that the Bible says about charity, which is a word that communicates Christian love, and you can learn what it means to love someone in action, in deed, something that is above the emotional aspect of love. But at the same time, love is an emotion, and we cannot divide asunder between these two concepts, love as an action and love as an emotion. Both are important. Now, you husbands, just imagine how in trouble you would be with your bride if you walked up to her and said, honey, I love you with a love of action, but I don't have an emotional attachment to you. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Sometimes people make comments that, well, love is an action. It's not an emotion. But I think that all of us, from a marital perspective, understand very much that love is an emotion. You would do anything for your children. No doubt you do anything for your children, but you feel 
an emotional connection with them. And I would just point out that the emotions that we experience are a part of how we were created in the image of God. God loves us, and that is an emotion in addition to an action. God is angry with wickedness. God is merciful. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. And God at times is a God of wrath. He is angry with the wicked. God is a jealous God. There are many passages in the Bible that speak of the emotions of God. Now, God's emotions are not driven by sinful passions and urges the way that ours are after the fall of man. However, God does experience, for lack of a better term, emotion. And I believe this is one way that we are made in the image of God. Animals go about their life operating on instinct, but the sort of emotions that humans experience are unique to them, to the degree at least that they experience them. And I believe this is very much one way in which we were made in God's own image. So today we want to look more at the emotional aspect of loving God. Our first passage today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. This is after the triumphal entry. Jesus has come into the holy city. He has purged the temple. He has begun preaching, and people are arguing with him, debating him, trying to test him or trick him, and they are always unsuccessful. A lawyer walks up to Jesus and asks him a question, tempting or testing him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? This word great translates from the word megali, which sounds very similar to a word that we use all the time, or at least a prefix that we use all the time, mega. And there's a reason for that. It means great or large or huge. So this lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, what is the great, or perhaps we might say the greatest, commandment of the law, the biggest commandment of the law? What is the mega command of the law? And Jesus, of course, as you know, answers him in verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And then Jesus says, this is the first and great commandment. Now, if you were tuning into the broadcast last week, we talked about Saul of Tarsus being the chief of sinners. And that word chief came from a word protos, which is a word that means first. He was first place in being sinful because of the way that he persecuted the Lord and persecuted the church. Here, this word for first is a derivative of that. To love God is the first, proti, and the great, megali, commandment. It is the proto-commandment and the mega-commandment in the law of God. Loving God is that important that it is first place and it is greatest. And we'll come back to this concept loving God from the law in just a moment. In the book of Matthew chapter 15, in light of this statement to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, Jesus observed that many in Israel, they drew nigh to the Lord with their lips, but their heart was far from him. This emphasizes for us the importance of Not just loving God in word, but loving Him in deed, loving Him in truth, really genuinely loving Him. You remember when Jesus conversed with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, He made the remark in response to her comments that her ancestors, her fathers, 
worshipped in the Mount of Samaria, but the Jews always said that Jerusalem was the place where God ought to be worshipped. And Jesus responded to her that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But as a part of that conversation, Jesus actually made the statement that God desires, he seeketh such to worship him. It is his seeking, as it were, that people would worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John 4.23 and John 4.24. What does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, certainly we need the Holy Spirit to worship. We cannot worship God in a way that pleases him through the flesh. But to worship him in spirit means more than merely enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's actually emphasizing the fact that we not only need to worship God in truth, that is according to the Word of God, but we need to worship him from the core of our being. We need to worship him in spirit. We need to worship him from the inside out. It is important that we truly worship God, that it's really an act of worship. It's not a show. It's not pretend, but it's actual worship. I recently had the opportunity on the state of Alabama's website to listen to old hymns being sung by some more rural groups of people around the state of Alabama, various associations and groups of Christians. And I was just stricken by how the performance of that was not robotic. It was not pretend. It was not what you hear from a professional group of people. There was no anticipation of perfection. Those people were legitimately worshiping, and it was beautiful. There were sacred harp singers. There were some of the old African Primitive Baptist associations that were singing, and I'm going to tell you, they were worshiping. It was enthusiastic. People were shouting. They were having a good time. And the thought occurred to me, wow, how much better was Christianity in our country when that's what worship looked like as opposed to, and don't get offended at me, but as opposed to the production that is made each Sunday in so many churches around our country. We were better off when we imperfectly worshiped God from the heart, regardless of whatever it looked like or sounded like. They didn't need smoke machines. They didn't need fog. They didn't need lasers. They didn't need lights. They didn't need a perfect-sounding CD-quality praise band on stage. They just worshiped God from the inside out, and it was beautiful. Again, it wasn't perfect, I'm sure music majors might find fault with it if they're a choral-leaning emphasis in their music education. But as far as God's perspective, I think God was pleased with those acts of worship as they occurred. And to me, I was reminded of religion more when I was a child. It was impactful. But we are to worship in spirit and in truth. We need to believe the true things. We need to believe what is right and true. But we also need to worship from the heart out, and that takes authenticity. It takes being in it. It takes loving God. It takes being vulnerable. It takes mortifying our rigidness, our stoicism, whatever it might be, that would prevent us from authentically worshiping God and just laying it out there, just worshiping Him. And again, we do this in spirit. We do this because we love Him. It's spirited. It's truthful. It's real. As far as the importance of this commandment and its place in the law, the first occurrence of this particular instruction from the Old Testament, as Jesus cites it, is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. 
Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, throughout Deuteronomy, you actually have several other reminders, commandments, exhortations to love God. In chapter 11 and verse 1, chapter 11 and verse 13, chapter 11 and verse 22, chapter 13 and verse 3, chapter 19 and verse 9, chapter 30 and verse 6, 16 and 20. All through Deuteronomy, this command is given to love God, and the importance of loving God is on display. Now, this is interesting for a number of reasons, but think about this. Deuteronomy is when the law is reiterated to the children of Israel. They've heard a lot about what they should do. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. So many various things that God commanded them to do civilly as far as their civil laws. If you dig a hole and an ox falls in it, you've got to pay the owner of that ox the value of the ox. And in those laws, you have eye for eye, tooth for tooth, etc. You have the ceremonial aspect of his law, where you have commandments regarding the priesthood, the tabernacle, all the furniture that would be in the tabernacle, and later in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the lamps, the showbread, the sacrifices, and you also have the moral commandments of God. Now, these would be commandments such as to have no graven images, to have no God before him, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to lie, not to engage in covetousness. Those are moral issues. Now, it's true that the Word of God never places that threefold distinction on the law, but it's very easy for us to divide into those aspects. But it is just the law. Deep in what the Word of God calls the law, or Moses, you have this thread running through it of loving God. And this is, again, loving God because he loved them. He set his love and his affection on them. It is important. It is a commandment. And this is why Jesus rebukes them for, though they had many traditions, and though they were trying to keep all of these laws, for giving praise to him with their lips, though their heart was far from him. Now, moving on, not only are we to worship in spirit and truth, not only is the first and greatest commandment of all of the law to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, but our obedience to God and to Christ is to be built upon this principle of loving God as well. In Galatians 5, 6, we read that faith worketh by love. Faith is how we serve God. We are to serve God by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And this intimate knowledge of God, literally Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the basis for all that we do. And how does faith work? Well, it's to work by love. At the same time, according to John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, and you could probably finish this sentence for me, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Loving him is to result in the keeping of his commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3 emphasizes that loving God is at the heart of the New Testament, because 1 Corinthians 8, 3 said, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. We are to be lovers of God, and the very first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is what? Love, which biblically would be a love for God 
a love for our fellow man, a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a love of the brethren. In other words, love is a result of being born again, and loving God, above all, is at the very heart of the New Testament and really the Bible itself, as we notice from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and those other passages that we read off for you. So before we get to our final point today about growing in love, loving God more, I want to tie in some biblical theology answering the question, who can actually love God? Let's consider who can love God and what the root of loving God is in our heart. In our natural state, you and I do not, cannot, and will not love God. Unregenerates and reprobates, according to Romans chapter 1, have a deep-seated heart hatred of God. Romans 1 is a passage that describes the downfall of humanity and human civilization into terrible behavior, but when Paul writes about those that are of a reprobate mind, he doesn't have reference to disobedient children of God. He has reference to those who are void, their minds, that is, are void of judgment. Now, the child of God who has been born of God does not have a mind that is void of judgment because the laws of God are written on his heart and on his mind, according to Hebrews chapter 8 and many other passages in the Word of God. And so when you read about a mind that is reprobate or void of judgment, you're reading about a mind that is void of God, a mind that does not know God. The reprobate, those void of judgment, reject the concept of the Creator, and they hold the truth and unrighteousness. That is to say, they suppress it. That's what the word hold there in Romans 1 means. And they turn to idolatry and sexual immorality and then homosexuality, and the next thing you know in this passage, you have a description of human society in enmity against God, and it's a society filled with unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Well, in this list of terrible behaviors in Romans chapter 1 that are the result of the reprobate mind, you have haters of God. Haters of God. That tells us that if a person is a natural man— He is a natural hater of God. In Romans 3, we read, There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeks after God, there's none that fears God, there's none righteous, no, not one. That type of person, you and me, before we knew God, is a natural hater of God. He is dead in trespasses and in sins. Romans chapter 5 says that prior to salvation, we are at enmity against God. We are at enmity against Christ again, dead in trespasses and in sins. And according to Titus chapter 3, we are hateful and hating one another. We are haters. Before God has come into our heart, we are hatred personified. But one of the objects of the hatred of the unregenerate and the reprobate is God. They hate God. This hatred is so strong that Jesus tells his disciples warning of the persecution they would experience that they persecute God's people, not because they hate God's people, but because they hate Christ. We experience persecution, then, not because of who we are, but who Christ is, and the fact that we follow Christ. They do these things because they have not known the Father, according to John 16 and verse 3. So, if you love God, why do you love God? How do you love God? Loving God is a result of the new birth 
and the new birth is based upon God's love of us. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Romans 5.5 5 speaks about the fact that through the Holy Spirit, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So you and I have love, love itself, as a thing, as a character attribute, something in your heart. You have that because it has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. We have love by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, some theologians will say, well, this passage, love there, doesn't have reference to our loving God, but God's love in us. And I would say that we really can't distinguish between me loving God, God loving me, me loving other people, because God is love. And so if God is in my heart, then love is in my heart, because God is love, according to 1 John chapter 4. That being the case, love is all-encompassing, real biblical agape love of loving God, loving the brethren, God loving me, All of that is a package deal. You don't get one type of love one place at one time and another type of love another place at another time. Now, we are commanded to love one another because though that love is in our heart, our minds and our flesh stand in opposition to that many times. But this love that I'm talking about to you today is shed abroad in our heart at the new birth. And every person, according to 1 John chapter 4, that is born again has love in their heart. They are people of love because God lives within them. If they're void of love, they're void of God because God is love, as we read in 1 John. Speaking of 1 John chapter 4, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. That love that he had for us is why we love him. But all this being said, Sometimes it is difficult to feel like you love God as much as you love the people around you. Now, John in 1 John 4, which is a chapter that speaks a lot about love that we have referred to many times today, actually implies that there is a natural difficulty in loving God the way that we ought to because he's invisible. And he makes this point as he is exhorting us to love one another. John says, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So by that, the implication is it is easier to love someone or something that you can physically see than it is to love something or someone that is invisible that you cannot physically see. That's the implication of that passage. Again, an exhortation to love your brethren who are around you. But let's springboard into a thought from this passage. We do find a difficulty loving God the way that we ought to because we can't see him, because we can't grab him with our hands, because we can't hear his voice audibly. We love him. Absolutely we love him. This is shed abroad in our heart, but we feel like we need to love him more. And sometimes this creates an internal struggle This can create a burden that we bear. It can even give us moments of grief and guilt. So the million-dollar question, as it were, how do we love God more? How can we grow in loving God? Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, give us one strategy, one thing that we can literally do to love God more. 
I love the Lord, Psalm 116, 1 says, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he's inclined his ear unto me. Therefore, will I call upon him as long as I live. We can grow in our love for God when we think about everything that God has done for us. Think of all of the benefits that God has given you in your life, and goodness, how abundant they are. If you live in this country, the United States, you have great freedom, you have liberty, you have rights, you have food, you have clothing, you have opportunity to work and to provide for your family. You're listening to me today on an electronic device, either on the internet or over the radio or through your smartphone, perhaps. As you think about God's blessings in your life, it ought to cause you to love Him more out of gratitude and appreciation. But I'm going to share with you a secret, something else that you can do that is no secret at all, but something that maybe we don't fully realize or comprehend that will help us blaze in our hearts for God the way that we ought to, the way that we want to. We love God more by looking to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what John said? The invisibility of God can create difficulty visualizing God to love him as we ought to. Again, if you say you love God but hate your brothers, then you're a liar. If you're hating your brothers that you can see, how can you be saying that you love God whom you cannot see? What does John say about the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1? He says, That which was from the beginning God the Word, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. We actually can visualize God as we think about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God manifest in human flesh. God became a physical man that others beheld. God became us. Who is the object of our faith? as followers of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. Whom do we preach? We preach Christ Jesus and Him crucified. What are we called as followers of Jesus? Christians. What's the root word of that word Christian? Christ. Who is our Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. How do we approach unto God, either in prayer or in person? We come unto the Father how? By Him. So we can grow in our love for God by looking to Jesus, studying his life, and thinking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he is precious to you in the same sort of love that you have for your wife or your husband, you sisters, or your children or your parents. I hope the same sort of burning in your heart that you have for them you have for Jesus when you think about him. Well, guess what? When you love Jesus, you are loving God because Jesus is God incarnate. Everything that we have, we have through Christ. Everything that we are enabled to do, we do through Christ. And so it makes perfect sense then, if you want to love God more, think about the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to study the four Gospels, walk with him through his personal ministry, spend time in his word with him. And I believe that your love for him will grow 
And as your love for our sweet Savior grows, that is literally your love for God growing. Understand, loving Jesus and loving God are not two separate things, but one in the same. Understanding that helps us to love God more. We close today with a simple reading of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And I will preface it by asking, how do we love God more? Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.